Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome to Let It Roll, the podcast about how and why popular music happens, hosted by Nate Wilcox. Follow the Let It Roll podcast on Twitter at Let It Rollcast and check out our website at LetItRollPodcast.com. Let It Roll is a Pantheon podcast, and you can listen to more great podcasts at www.pantheonpodcasts.com. Today, we continue our special eight-episode miniseries on Netflix's Hip Hop Evolution documentary. Nate is joined by Alexi Old and Eugene S. Robinson, his cohorts from the YouTube show If the Shoes Fit. This week, they discuss Season 2, Episode 4 of Hip Hop Evolution, New York State of Mind, which covers a new generation of New York hip hop, including Nas, the Wu-Tang Clan, and Notorious Big. Pop in those earbuds and enjoy. It's time to let it roll. I'm your host, Nate Wilcox, special edition Hip Hop Evolution, joined once again by my co-hosts, Alexi Old and Eugene S. Robinson. Today, we're talking about episode, season two, episode four, New York State of Mind. So even though we talked about West Coast Gangster Rap last season and season one, episode four, now we're dealing with New York's response to the commercial success of West Coast Gangster Rap in the early 1990s. First segment of the show talks about the Hotel Roosevelt, which is a Roosevelt Hotel, which is basically an excuse to talk about crate digging. Second part talks about the SP-1200 sampler. Did I get that right? Yeah, the SP-1200 sampler. And then we get into Nas. Then we get into Elmatic. And then we get into the Wu-Tang Clan and Notorious B.I.G. We'll talk about Wu-Tang Clan and Notorious Big next time. First up, the Roosevelt Hotel. And the key quote, this is (laughs) Chio Coker. You gotta heckle me. You gotta hate always, always with the heckling. I'm encouraging. Encouraging. Someone's who used to who, who used to write for me. Oh, huh? he had oh. written a couple of pieces for me when I was at, when I was doing Code Magazine. So, All total right. di- total disclosure. Yeah, uh, good, good to know. Good to know. But mm-hmm. he says once these records hit, he's talking about the Chronic. It's like commercially, this is passing us by. This West Coast sound has taken over everything. We can't even get East Coast hip hop hip hop records played on the radio. So. Thoughts on this? Thoughts on the Roosevelt Hotel section, the way they did the structure of the episode? Alexi? I mean, I, I, I kind of – I understood what they were trying to do, and I thought it was very interesting. 
in terms of the Roosevelt, because I'd never heard of that before, wasn't aware of it. So I learned a lot based on that. I learned how much uh, uh, how much of their a dork scene there was amongst. The, it was the funniest thing. It was I, I thought it was funny. Like even to this day, they're like, I'm not going to tell you what my stuff is, you know. So um, for me, that goes back to Cool Herc. Well, yeah, I that's mean, true. That's true. So I understood why they did it uh but i guess as a casual um i lost interest relatively quickly and um i had more interest it was one of these things where i lost interest so quickly i was wondering okay you know in terms of the impact i get it in terms of from a music from a musical standpoint but i guess from a a, a fan casual standpoint and I'm thinking about, okay, impacts as if like, are they going to have anything on the source or any of the, you know? So again, I, I understood why they did it, but I just, it was just a little too deep in the weeds and a little too dorky for me to really get into after a couple of minutes. Eugene? He's out of his mind. <laughs> He's out Speak of his mind. Speak up for dorks, well, Eugene. I, I, look, look, look. Yeah, I am because as I drink out the pour cup through a dorks. But I'm gonna say like, look, look, I would rather hear from five producers than probably about fifty of the acts that they actually produced, right? Mm. I mean, there, there, there's, there's a reason why. I mean, and this comes from maybe my history as editor in chief of EQ magazine, where I spent a lot of time with uh, producers. And at one point, you know, I'll give you an example. Chicarelli had said we were agonizing over still recording on tape, recording on digital, still recording on tape, recording digital. And he was like, I'll spend all the money you want. Get a guy in here who can do a 24 track, cut the tape, you can buy all the tape you want. But the reality of it is your sound has much more to do with where I put this microphone than either of these systems. And that cured it for us, right? Mm. So then at that point, I start thinking, I start talking to the Johns brothers and listen to like the Zeppelin. There were a million micro decisions that went into making every single one of these records that you dig, dig and love. And at one point, Q-Tip is talking about that, where he's like, stuff is happening sonically that you, you don't even hear, but, it, but it's there. And, and, you know, so, and that, that nerd tradition, like from DJ Shadow, actually even use that as a record cover with people uh, 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 record diving, you know, just standing there, not talking to each other, going through, going through the bins, getting musical historical artifacts. Uh, to me, this was, I was, I was on full geek. I would much rather hear from these guys. But you're and, also a musician and, and, too. So that's why in terms, of, I tried to, in terms of qualifying, yeah. it's like as a yeah, casual, yeah. as a fan, as somebody that's not involved in the creation of music, right? That's why when yeah. I saw it, I totally understood it. It's just that it was going into something that as a casual, as a fan, as opposed to being on the other side. You know, I'm sure if they had something right, with right. writing or acting and stuff like that, I love getting deep in the weeds, right? Yep. For for actual arts that I'm involved in creatively, but for music, which is, you know, I haven't been involved in, that's why, right. you know, for me, I didn't, you know, but I totally get it for you and probably for Nate, like as with given the fact that, you know, as a musician well, then, for him and his musical background. Well, then, I mean, after interviewing all these producers, like, you know, Will I Am and so on for EQ, I realized, look, you know, these guys might not be articulate about what they're doing, but they know what they're doing. And unbeknownst to a lot of people, Oxbow started as a solo project. And I had intended to actually say, I don't need musicians. I'm going to take some samples here and samples there. And, and after about a couple of weeks of that, I was like, 
to hell with this. Where's Nico? <laughs> I just couldn't, I couldn't hack it, man. It's not, it's not that easy. It's really not that easy. It's really complicated. And, uh, and so I appreciate it. And I, I appreciate it. Even though I got a weird thing with hotels, I appreciate it. So. And I, I think the thing with the, the geeking out on the records, it's important to remember, you know, hip hop's sort of a secondary, uh, uh, a fourth wall musical medium. I mean, you know, regular musicians, traditional musicians geek out over guitar strings right. or what right. kind of amp they're using. And you have special specialist magazines for that. Whereas I think this is a good reminder that records are the foundation of, of hip hop music. And so you see these guys geeking out of, out of over records. And I think the thing, the narrative point of all this was twofold. It was it was to give a little bit of behind the scenes, talk about the samplers, talk about the records, but also to set up this whole generation of producers that comes out of New York who didn't make any records that merited being in the series. Right. That's that's right. They right. get pulled together. And we'll get to that yeah. in a minute. But and so then that but that begs the question, what did they leave out of this section? And they 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 interviewed about half of them, but they left out the digging in the crates crew. There was an actual crew Called yeah. the Digging in the Crates wow. crew with Fat Joe and Buck Wild and Lord Finesse, you know, and, and who I think I would have, who I would have, who would have resonated more with me. I think that my disconnect also is as the the people they focused on were producers and music industry people I was familiar with, but as a casual, right? Someone read all the magazines and trying to keep up with the industry, but like you know, from the fan side as an insider side. The individuals who they were featuring, they were well, they had Premier on there, right? Like DJ Premier, and then maybe a little bit of Pete Rock, but other guys, the Beat Miners, like they're people and Frog like the people you're familiar with, but like they were not setting any kind of trends, or they were not the individuals who at least, you know, I couldn't name you a Beat Miners song, you know what I mean? Like so, if then you actually look these people up, and I'm like, okay, wait a second, was I just like, was I just involved in a certain kind of music? Like, no, it was just so it just. I, again, for the resonance for me, I think it kind of goes back to a criticism that we had um, – I'm looping you guys in – for past episodes, which is I understand why they focus on some people, and but the problem is sometimes there's a false equivalence in terms of impact and – you know. And so I just – it would have resonated with me more if there were individuals who actually produced more content I was familiar with. And back in the day when I was a huge hip-hop fan, I was like, oh, my God, they got like – you know." so I see Pete Rock. I was like, oh, I remember Pete Rock like having his couple of hits and trying to bank off of Mecca and the Soul Brother. You know what I mean? So so, so, yeah. so that – to me, that's what also was the disconnect and why at a certain point I was like, man, they're really going deep in the weeds with some of the people that they have here as opposed to individuals who I would have preferred to have heard, you know? Well, that's it. Go ahead. Well, I kind of like it because I, I thought I thought of this as kind of a thread pulling episode where they obviously can't cover every great hip hop album that was ever made or every important crew. Can they not? Or whatever, but they can. But they can point you in a lot of directions, and they had uh, yeah. names on the screen, and you could, you know, I knew I knew most of them, but there were some I didn't know, and I went to Google, and boom, you know, and then I'm in a whole new record, and and so I like that, you know, pulling the thread also thing. Also, it makes me think. Of, it makes me think of like uh, like mathematicians. You know, they're mathematicians who like well, usually they hit in their early twenties. Early, like if you pay attention to that whole that weird subset of mathematicians, like they do all the amazing shit they're gonna do 
like before they're 30, right? right. Typically. And then, but then the, they have careers after that where they're just toiling away at like blackboards full of figures endlessly until uh, my friend, uh, his father, uh, Steve Cohen, his father's a phenomenal mathematician. That guy died, hey, he died a few years ago. I had no idea what he was working on, but he was always working on something. Similarly, my sister says, oh, you know, Gene, she's won a Grammy before and she's a singer and so on. And she's, I go, what are you doing? Who are you working with now? She goes, oh, I'm doing some, I got one of the people working on my things now is Pete Rock. And I go, Pete Rock? Yeah, that guy, I thought that guy was dead. She's like, no. And, you know, and these these geek, geek, you know, the geek element, he's off like these mathematicians producing, working on stuff, experimenting. It, it doesn't really seem to matter to him, the, the, the step that Alexi's talking about, uh, of the commercial application and recognition. As long as he's got money to eat, he's like, whatever, man. And they're sitting in their labs doing their twiddling knobs or doing whatever, trying to discover that thing still. And that makes so sense. And of, that totally yeah. makes sense. And, and, and what I like about that, again, is the fact that, you know, you have, I think one of the things that happens, especially in this culture slash society is there's so much focus when someone is hit, is a hit and, you know, and they're, they're, they're in the public sphere and people are aware of them. But the fact of the matter is they had lives before they hit and they have lives after they hit. And it is fascinating yeah. to see, like you mentioned, you have an individual who just, you talk about Pete Rock, like for a hot year or two, like mm -hmm. was just all over, like almost too much all over the fucking place. The fact of the matter is when the fame goes away, he's still there and he's like, oh yeah, fuck, I don't do music anymore. You know, so it's, it's, so right. yeah. And if he's smart, he's got money left over so he doesn't have to do anything mm -hmm. he doesn't really want to do, you know? And also, um, the other thing that left out of the segment is that you wouldn't even know from this that Pete Rock was ever a named performer. You would just right. see him as a Yes, 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 yes. And they erased the whole Pete Rock CL Smooth thing, which I ignored at the time because I was like, I heard enough love songs from, you know, LL Cool Day. I don't, I, you know, I'm not in the demo for this, whatever. <laughs> going back and listening to this prepare for the show, I was like, wow, there's some cool beats here. Yeah, and, uh, yeah, yeah. I was missing out uh, just by being a sexist pig or whatever and thinking I was too cool for girl music, but. You know, so but let's get to that. Hey, 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 they didn't do you like love songs. I uh, love love songs. I'm a lover, not a fighter. Of course, of course. But let's get to the SB twelve hundred. So then they they segue from the records into what you do with the records, which is you hook them up to a sampler. We're past the Rick Rubin stage where you had to do all your samples yeah. with a turntable live, you know, or or eight tracks or whatever, like Q tip is described. And so you got the SP twelve hundred, and they allude to it, but they don't mention that. You know, it's a I think it's an eight bit sampler. So it's not yeah. sampling the full sound picture. And that's why it sounds so gritty and funky and cool. Uh, you know, they they he does say large professors of the circuitry in there makes it sound scuffed like that, that real New York sound. And yeah. then they get Q tip talking about how large professors showed him the guts of the SP twelve hundred, et cetera, et cetera. And I just gotta get on my soapbox here because I, I knew enough to know that the guy who taught large professor is totally erased from this. And his name's Paul C. McCasty. He was murdered when he was 24 years old, producer in Queenie at the first Ultramagnetic MCs. Oh, right. And he taught Large Professor how to do the SP-1200, and psh, you'd never know. And I don't know what they could have done to throw that in there, because it'd be totally depressing to be like, oh, there was this guy, and he just was getting started, but he was the real genius that showed you know, Large Professor how to do this shit. But I just want to drop how, it in there. How, how did he get killed? Somebody jacked him in his house. I think it was after a recording session. He went home and somebody killed him. It was on America's Most Wanted and the whole bit. Fuck. Yeah. 
They yeah, catch yeah. the person who did, they catch the person who did it. They did. They did catch yeah. catch catch the person, you know. Yeah. But uh, so, but now let's segue. Anything else on the SP twelve hundred? Was it too geeky for you, Alexi? No, or that was, was interesting. They when they got into that, I was like, oh, this is interesting. It's no longer the you know my record. Well, what, I, what, what 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 I liked about it is that it was like a musical Twitter, right? Because it was time limited with how long of a sample you could make. So you had to like you know you got it, seven seconds, boom, you're done. I think it was ten seconds, but yeah. Yeah, and they showed the way that they, you know, could modify the pitches and and right. do all the things, and so you'd take one note, which I always thought was kind of weird. Like they're so fixated on these particular records by artists they loved, then they take one note from it and distort it so much you could never tell what it was from. So you know, I don't know. It's well, the other like, thing too is, and this is why, in terms of my my little bitterness and and you know and losing interest relatively early, is it'd be one thing. I was around when those guys were like were were releasing stuff, and so to me, like I, I get what you're saying, Eugene. Like, oh, the amount of time that's taken to stuff. But at the end of the day, mm. it's like when I'm remembering and reminiscing about the music that some of the people featured put out, it wasn't memorable. It wasn't great back in the day either. You know yeah, what I mean? So yeah, it's yeah. Like, okay, okay, whole okay. I'm gonna to stop you there because the, the the hose by which you would have known that they were great was freaking commercial radio. Fuck commercial radio, man. Unless you were listening to a college radio station, I that was. Had, you know. Uh, you I was are? just okay. going underground then, tapes and everything. Yeah. He was in Howard, remember? Yeah, okay. Then you had a legit, a legit uh, hip-hop DJ. Then generally you were just getting the shit that they they, they were giving you, you know? Yeah. No, because I had, you have to understand, like, also, like, I was I was hanging around the too cool for school motherfuckers, like, in the art mm. scene in D.C. And, yeah, you know, people yeah, in the yeah, yeah. Like, Listen to this. Listen to this. Oh, people like this. This isn't him. This is hitting. And so, you know. Just, yeah, 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 yeah. But back to go back, Nate, we, we, we took a section of why don't we do it in the road, slowed it down, turned it backwards, <laughs> took the drum beat out of it, and used it in an Oxbow song. Nobody knows that but us and now you. <laughs> Why did we do it? Yeah, we felt like it. It had to, you know? <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, let's move on to the Nas section. Yes. So then, then they, they introduce, you know, that they, they've, they've – Nas they've who used to beat beat his wife, Kellis, I understand. Oh, man. He's trying to ruin all the fun. <laughs> I always, I always – He said nasty Nas. It wasn't, you know, respectful to women Nas. I'll tell you what I'm, what I'm hearing. That's all. I see. All right. All right. But – they, they introduced, you know, the, the concept. There's all these innovative prof- producers out there in New York City. They're using SB 1200. They're diving in the crates, but ultimately they need a new generation of street hardened MCs to match it. And so, and they they posit Nas as the guy who stands head and shoulders above everybody else, basically because he's got a one verse on a main source album, which main source is really good, but they were never like, popular or successful. But obviously in New York, you know, it was getting the buzz. You know, and they and they talked to Faith Newman, who signed him to I think CBS Columbia at the time, and and lots of quotes of his uh, rap, et cetera, et cetera. But I got to jump in there, and then again they leave out the white guy because MC Search, MC Search totally ah! signed Nas. Like Life Professor That's right. signed Nas was out there in the wilderness right. looking for a deal for like two years. Fuck and it, hey, I forgot them. I forgot them. He's a named executive on the record. Separate I mean. Medium. It's like I'm starting to notice a trend. I mean, they left out Vanilla Ice. Not a mention. <laughs> I barely mentioned uh, the Beastie Boys. Well, because uh, when the guys talk about our music and our culture being a Canadian, uh, 
Yeah, we mean our. Yeah. yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> anyway, I don't know that it's a, a conspiracy, but I did think it was funny that they just cold left MC Search out of here because he's the one who brought him to Faith Newman. Like they literally. Well, maybe Faith Newman, like they were like, oh, we're going to talk about Search. That's not true. You heard what? No, 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 yeah. no. It wasn't MC Search. It was me. No, 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 no. He's the executive producer on the album. No, I mean, no, 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 no. It's because, like, as a man, he had to put his name on there. But, you know, uh-huh. really, it was me. There's a misogyny I was dealing with. That's that's the story. Yeah. But but you can go interview him if you want to, Canadian. <laughs> yeah, that's kind of fucked, man. That makes me never. Now the wife beating and then the, the screwing MC Search. Now I'm depressed. Well, Nas didn't even participate in the show. So you can't blame Nas for that. Yeah, like, yeah, right. And he didn't right, even right, talk right, to right. him either. So, you know. Yeah, yeah. But so. Thoughts on Nas and the Illmatic and the, and the Illmatic. Classic, classic album, classic. It totally was something that I listened to it today in preparation for this show. Sometimes you listen to stuff and even when they were referencing certain songs that I look up like, oh mm. yeah, that's right. Large Professor did, what song was it? And then you listen to it and it totally brings you back in the sense that the grittiness, yeah. the, the nastiness, um, you know, and, and that's the thing about the fascinating thing I found about his album, and I'm not going to go into Wu-Tang, but there's a similar current, which is there's so many different kinds of perspectives, which, so you have the whole, the street thing, which I was never a fan of, and the drug dealing and all this kind of stuff, and the criminal activity, you know, being a straight edge, not knowing a straight edge, but you also have the conscious you, consciousness you have the letter to the guy in prison you know so it, it's just really fascinating to hear just ex- exactly the way that one of the people mentioned on the on one of the commenters was you know you really feel like you are put into queensbridge and a certain kind of lifestyle and just just being a part of what's going on you know, and just being drawn into it and just and, and getting different slice of life and just how complicated it just in other words, it just also wasn't it wasn't facile, like straightforward rhyming for the sake of rhyming or like, oh, I'm going to be hard. So I'm going to do this rhyme like you. The, the lines that are hard are hard and hit you. The lines that are illuminate you do that, too. So it, it just to this day, it totally survived the test of time as a classic. Even so, when I was referencing the um, when uh. Uh, I was referencing how Rolling Stone was trolling everyone with saying Lauren Hill's Miseducation, Lauren Hill, which only has half rap songs and half, you know, pure vocal songs on it as the greatest rap album of all time. I was listening to Lost Ones, which I just listened to maybe three weeks ago as like a classic single. And three weeks ago, I listened to it. It's like, fuck, like this was, oh, I, I forgot like how tight her rhymes were. Right. So then I listened to Illmatic, I listened to Wu-Tang, and in the wake of the Rolling Stone thing, I was going to share a clip with you guys and Nash. And I said, let me listen to Lost Ones again. And after listening to Nas, it's like, ah, it's, it's okay. <laughs> Fair comparison. I mean, you know. Yeah. I know. Well, I, I, I found it interesting for a, maybe a completely different reason, and that has to do with the fact that he did something um, that was – which of course everybody does now, which is what my sister was doing when she was working with Pete Rock and which has now become kind of sort of standard. Um, he went to a bunch of different producers, mm-hmm. yeah. <laughs> you know, and, and, and I have to tell you, I, I actually, I didn't even tell you guys this with the, with the thin black Duke, 
the Oxbow Oxbow record for the first time ever. We've been making records since 19 music since 1980. For the first time ever, somebody suggested, "Hey, we're going to try to pick some, a, a a mastering guy. Why don't we send out five different 30 second samples to five different mastering people?" Of course, this is why the record was so expensive because you had to pay them have them master it and see what comes back. And one of the cats that we had worked with was a big hip hop uh, mastering guy. And he sent back, he sent back, um, he sent back the 30 second segment of a song off of a Thin Black Duke that sound, that we, it was so crazy that we almost went with him because it was like Oxbow as a hip hop band. Huh. And, you know, I've been making music for a long time and I never would have thought, I thought mastering was just like somebody just comes in and puts the ding, you know, the, mm. the little gleam from the tooth on the record so that Nas was actually able to see like, you know, nah, I, for whatever reason he did it. I don't want to have all my eggs in this one guy's basket. I want to hear a number of different sounds. I want this to be a tapestry in total. Uh, you know, I, 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 you know, I, I want, I have a variety for whatever reason he did it. Oh, uh, then that's, that's the other thing they left out was he yeah. had a DJ that he came up with named yeah. ill will. Right. Uh -huh. I think his name was, or something, Will Graham, something. Um, but the kid got killed right. before he got to record anything. God rest so it's kind of like Harris One yeah. and Scott LaRock, you know. Yeah. So he's got that partner who's dead. So he yeah. didn't have a partner relationship with Large Professor or any of those guys. So, you know. Well, well, yeah, that was maybe a, 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 a causal, a causal agent. But the fact of the matter was, it actually, I think it, it. Um, it I, I think he was better off having done it that way. Yeah, it and, totally I mean, works from, because yeah, yeah. so many different. And that's the thing. Listening mm -hmm. to it again is the fact you have so many different. Something that I'm, I'm, you know, I was more heightened in my awareness of it now as it was mm -hmm. back in the day. Whereas you're just looking at, oh yeah, whatever. You know, there's so many different kinds of styles, right, in terms of the production, but it all works together. That's the thing that's so fascinating about this album is the fact yeah, that yeah, yeah. you're not – a lot of times you yeah. listen to it and it gets tired or like, okay, here we go again. Like, oh, it's the B-side finally. Like, But this one had so many different kinds of sounds and styles and it all flowed together. That's the thing. Well, that's and so also, also, about it. he was a medium for them to communicate yes. with the, the, for them for them to communicate with each other, which was so perfect. Uh, yeah, they said you know without any kind of envy, Jay was like it was Escaladio. It was like yeah. Oh, yeah. okay, so they were all trying to make you know a, 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 in a secondary or tertiary way. They were all trying to best the other yeah. producer, and in the end, the beneficiary, the very direct beneficiary, was of course Nas. And so, it's a short album too. It's only like thirty-eight minutes. And, the, and, and, and listeners, yeah, yeah, right. And and that was another thing because that was in the period where this the rap cds were starting to bloat and that's literally what pushed me out of following hip-hop was mm. you couldn't get it on vinyl anymore because when you did track down the vinyl of, of something that was a 70 minute cd it would skip because it was just too much shit in the grooves you know well and also like, also that you drop after i think it's 22 minutes max aside with vinyl and if you push it beyond that you get like they're, they're, you, you lose skips. a D. No, it's not even skips it. You start to lose a DB. So you get oh, wow. quiet, murk, murky records that are just crap. So, you know, they just didn't care. And the reality of it is, not a, and it, same thing with CDs if you push 75 minutes. But just because you can put 75 minutes in the CD doesn't mean you should put 75 mm, minutes. Yeah, we don't need eight no. skits. And, no, and, no, and no. The remix no, no. and the backwards, like, so. Yeah, but, yeah, yeah. Yeah, but so that, and I think that it's important though, that they get this because that did become a big trend. And like you say, 
unlike some CDs you'll hear now or records, it, it doesn't sound like you have eight different producers with wildly different sounds. It's just right. clunk, 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 you know, just slapped together right. and you can tell they did it through the mail. It's like these guys, like, like I think it's Buster Rhymes that says this, they were all friends. They all yeah. knew each other. So all these right. producers knew each other. They're all working with the same kind of tools. So they get the same basic sonic palette to work from. So it's not some, you know, it's not disjointed at all. Well, they, they also they also realized they were working on the same record, so it, they didn't want to be the guy who people said all the other guys were okay, but that that guy they didn't want to be that guy. So they had an interest in in making the mosaic so work. So how how much of it do you think then it is as well when you talk about like you know making the mosaic work because they knew what they had with Nas as well, right? In the sense, if you're dealing mm -hmm. with a guy like this guy's fucking it and he's going to be like if you know how great this guy is you don't want to be you know you don't want to come up yeah. you don't want to be the one with the whack track on his on his debut how much well, of that do you also, think also also you got to remember in the days before file stealing these cats were getting getting points on this record mm. producers got points on records so if that record goes triple platinum that guy's get he's not like, he, he's, you know, they're not all Steve Albini with the, I want a flat fee, I shouldn't have anything to do with the record success. Nah, they got points. Mm. I mean, uh, so you wonder how Pete Rock is living now. That's how Pete Rock is living wow. now. <laughs> you know. Pete Rock yeah. remix. No matter how he has all these fucking remixes on everything. I was looking up his stuff, as like, mm. Pete Rock, that's right, he was a guy who like, would have unnecessary remixes that were worse than the original recording. <laughs> You're such a hater. Anyway, we'll be back next time and we'll finish up this episode uh, talking about the Wu-Tang Clan and Notorious B.I.G. That's right. Yeah. I, 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 there, there, there we go. That's right. There we go. <laughs> <laughs> right, thanks, guys. Thank you. Here's Wu-Tang Clan's Protect Your Neck. Like smoking Joe Frazier, the hell raiser, raising hell with the flavor, terrorize the jam like troops in Pakistan, swinging through your town like your neighborhood Spider-Man, so all tick-tock and keep ticking, while I get you flipping off the shit I'm kicking, the Lone Ranger, co-ed, danger, deep in the dark with the art, to rip the charts apart, the vandal, too hot to handle your battle, you're saying goodbye like Devin Campbell, rough neck, Inspector Dex on the set, the battle, And now a word from our sponsors. And here's Notorious Big doing Juicy. Magazine, something pepper and heavy D up in the limousine. Hanging pictures on my wall. Every Saturday, rap attack, Mr. Magic Molly Mall. I let my tape rock till my tape pop. Smoking weed and bamboo, sipping on private stock. Way back when I had the red and black lumberjack with the hat to match. Remember rapping Duke? The hard, the hard. You never thought that hip hop would take it this far. Now I'm in the limelight because I rock. It's time to let it roll. We're continuing our discussion <laughs> of Hip Hop Evolution Season 2. Episode three, a New York State of Mind. We've already talked about Nas and Illmatic and a bunch of other stuff going on in New York in the early '90s, and now we turn to part two of the episode with the Wu Tang Clan and the Notorious B.I.G. <laughs> I got it right this time. <laughs> indeed, indeed, indeed. So it seems like the main things they want us to get from the Wu Tang Clan, and 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 they and they let up with this is that the the trend had been starting with Nas was a bunch of producers and one rapper right know, like the illmatic's the first of the the great rap masterpieces with multiple producers that had never been done before but wu-tang flips that formula and it's one genius producer 
nine MCs and nine plus MCs. I mean, they keep adding, they add people down the road. Mm. That seems to be the main thing. And then Staten Island. This is the forgotten borough. Shaolin. Yeah, man. I got, into a, I got into a big riot on Staten Island. A riot on Staten <laughs> yeah. Island. You have to tell the tale. Yeah, yeah. Well, it was great, man. I, I, I rode out of Staten Island standing on the hood of a, a guy's woody station wagon with a bat, baseball bat in my hand. It was like something straight out of the Warriors. I'm not kidding you. What Welcome year was Staten that? Island. It was 1982 or 83. Um, and then the last time was a few years ago when I did that mafia piece. We went by Paul Castellano's house. Uh, this mansion, which is now uh, occupied by an Albanian plumber. What? It's a humble plumber. <laughs> <laughs> we up, set up the tripod, security squad, like three seconds away. And uh, my video guy comes over and goes, hey, Eugene, the security squad said, you know, you can't. And I was like, are you a man? Are you a mouse? You get over there, you film. You're a member of the, you know, <laughs> the fourth estate. You can do whatever you want. He goes, where are you going to be? I go, I I'm going to be in the car. <laughs> okay, okay. Well, that was off topic, but interesting. Yes. <laughs> That's all right. All right. But so Staten Island, I mean, the backwater of the five boroughs by yes. far. Like they, like I think it's Rick the chef says, you have to ride in a ferry for 30 minutes just to get there. Well, come and on. Do, do, do the mechanics. If you meet somebody in a disco in Manhattan, you think she's going to get on the subway to a ferry to go with you to some sketch? Yeah. Every place is in Staten Island sketch because if you don't like it, how the hell are you gonna get out of there? No way. No I, way. I dated a girl in Staten Island, and there was a time in which she was like, she was at her her home, and she was like, uh, "Yeah, I think I hear a noise." I was like, oh, "Okay." She's like, "You gonna come and, and stay with me?" I was like, "Get on a ferry?" Like, "No, I'm in Brooklyn." What the <laughs> fuck that? I mean, you can't it was take, nice you knowing can't, you. <laughs> you. You can't take the Veranzano Bridge over, right? But still, come on, man. If you drive, That's I mean, it. you know, it's not gonna. The middle of nowhere and and Riza, formerly Prince Rakim, and they don't mention that at all. And I, I'm kind of blown. They should have. They should yeah. have. Yeah. We love you, know, Rahim. Riza puts this thing together with the nine MCs, and it's one of these things where he basically, I mean, a lot of the, I mean, two of the guys were his cousins, and several of them he'd grown up with. But basically, ODB and Jizza. He had the yeah. pick of all the best MCs in Staten Island, you know, and so and and he put together this crew with this vision of you know kung fu movies and comic books i mean just a very creative vision that was more fantastical than anything we'd seen up in hip-hop up to this point am i right i mean does anything well what, what, what i loved about it, it was that it was it was a perfect distillant of what everybody thinks you're crazy for talking about when you talk about a movie like taxi driver and they go oh man the set design set design nothing that's how it was. And these kids all, you know, your parents would give you some money and set you free and you would end up on 42nd. It was like a, a criminal bazaar, but they also had the greatest, craziest Kung Fu movie. Totally. And you could, you could sit for uh, 75 cents and you could sit there for four hours and see four different Kung Fu flicks. So it was you know, this pastiche of, of Times Square during what, you know, the, the youth in me says it was his heyday and, you know, Kung Fu movie. It was a really perfect, perfect blend. And there was always a, a black presence in martial arts. I did a piece on it for Ozzy going back to Moses Powell and like all of the old, the guys who came from the Korean War who studied martial arts in Korea and then came back to the hoods and started teaching people like karate, you know, in advance of Bruce Lee. So that was always a, a pretty serious presence, you know. 
Yeah, so they distilled that, and then they had nine guys, and you would like, you know, I think it's Bones Malone who said, you know, Rizzo played me the tape, and I laughed like nobody's gonna understand any of this, and nine guys, no way, right? But because their personalities were so distinct, um, <laughs> there was room for them. I mean, there's only one. Bones Malone, the Eugene Robinson of hip hop. You'll <laughs> you'll never make it ever. <laughs> <laughs> and he admits he regrets he that, admits, you know, but. Yep, yep. But you know, you had you had Jizza, who's the genius, who's just a classic rapper, ODB, who had a record deal. For, he had a record deal as well. Yeah, and we'll right. get that. That's the what they missed. Who are your part. who are your favorites? Who are your favorites? Mine. Yeah. Rank them. Cool. Yeah, number one. Yeah, number one. Hands no, down. I, I, I go. I go with Method Man. Ah. Oh. Method Man, OD, ODB, and then Ghostface. These are my favorites. See my style, OD. different from yours. Make a young bitch want to drop for drawers. <laughs> <laughs> Tripping on Bacardi and acid. See, that's how I roll with it with, with Mess. I gotta go with ODB and then Raekwon. And then Riza and then Jizza. Well, let me ask you this, Nate. Uh, I forgot Raekwon. Well, see, that's the thing. Are you are you rating them as they appear as a group, or are you including? No, I'm talking about all 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 around. Globally, you gotta include everything. If I line up all my solo records, I've got I probably actually you're right. I have all of ODBs. I've got all of Ghostface. And I think I have one of Methods, and then I have all of Raekwon's. He, he dropped off for me with Immobilarity. I don't think that was a very good Well, record, the key so. thing there is RZA only produced, like, the first cu- first one or yep. first couple for most of them. You know, but they don't get into that. This is just about the genesis of Wu-Tang. They don't get into the whole decline and fall. And there's a great documentary that I think it's on Showtime of Mike it's, it's great. It's great, yeah. Four part uh, that's well worth watching. But like 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 Alexi was saying, and I teased already, like, the, the big one of the biggest things they left out was that Rizza and Jizza had both had solo careers. Jizza as the genius on Cold Chillin', you know, the storied label that brought us Big Daddy Kane and Bismarcky. And then um, Rizza was Prince Rakeem on Tommy Boy. And if, have you watched that video he did? I mean, it's like a parody of everything. Yeah. We love you, Raheem. Yeah. We love you, Raheem. All oh, the ladies, they love me. <laughs> Rizzo was the wrong guy to be trying to tell That was great. Up, man. So, mean, he, so hold on, hold on. Did that come, that, that had to come before <laughs> Grave Diggers, right? Yes, yeah. Oh, yeah, Grave Diggers. That was before the Wu-Tang. Which came oh, first, really? so, yeah, yeah, it was, yes. Yeah, Wu-Tang's okay. first, man. Did the, okay. the Jizza, though, um, his came, he was the first one, though, like, come do me, right? Ooh, come do me, yeah, yeah, yeah. right? Yeah, yeah, Jizza and Prince, and Prince Rakeem were contemporaneous. Like they both okay. had la- major la- or you know major hip hop label, major powerful indie hip hop indie labels, putting an album out on them, and they both flopped, and and that's why I mean to me RZA is just up there with like I don't I mean Barry Gordy or Phil Spector is in terms of a business genius, and and that's the other thing they left out is his brother Divine, who was the yep. CEO of Wu Tang, and who's been exiled from the whole family. He's, he's bitter. <laughs> Yeah, and and you know, and and there's a case for it, but I mean, the brilliance of what they pulled off on the business side, the fact that they signed a deal where they were all free to then sign other deals, and then, but they were all signed to the Wu Tang Productions, so they they didn't have their independent deals. But you know, then RZA puts out like seven different albums on these guys within a two three year period that he produced, and his production style, like they say, 
is a major advance in the state of the art. I mean, you know, and it's just wacky. I mean, it's a really dirty, dirty sound. Off key, loops are out of kilter, but it just works perfectly. And you know, but especially uh, with the especially with a kung fu flick thing, right? Because you talk about off yep. kilter. There's nothing more off kilter than damn you. I'll give you to the count of three. <laughs> exactly. One, two, three. <laughs> Get out of here, damn you! So you're accustomed when you. So as soon as you hear that, as soon as that album drop, as soon as you hear the first, it puts you totally in the mindset of just this alternate kind of everything out of sync world, and that's what yeah. kung fu flicks were. Yeah. 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 yeah absolutely. And so. Yeah, I mean, I, I thought they did a pretty good job of telling the Wu Tang story, you know, of just the beginning. And I think that's pretty appropriate. Like Wu Tang. Definitely merits being in the in the in the series, but I don't think you need to go into the full like multiple episodes on Wu Tang or anything like that. I think they made a pretty good choice to introduce yep. Wu Tang yep. Yep. and let people go off and just because ultimately, I mean, they were like one of those cult acts that was just immensely popular. But I think yep. ultimately they're a cult act. Why is that? How do you and, and, how do you define that? First, understand <laughs> your first encounter with them is seeing meth in Soul Plane. Which I just happened to see the other night, and that's 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 a hallucinatorily good movie because it's so bad it is good. Whereas Leonard Part Six is hallucinatorily bad and stays bad. Meth in Soul Plane, two thumbs up. What do you mean is cult? What do you mean cultish, Nate? How are you defining well, I just that? Mean yeah. that it's not. It's not ever going to be mainstream. Diddy or, or yeah. Jay Z. I mean, this the, right. you know the chicks never dug Wu Tang really. I mean, it's just it was so well done. Ice creams, baby. I thought they so much they had all the ladies in that video. <laughs> that it blew up, you know, and, and 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 I mean they were immensely popular, but it's just you know to get into the Wu Tang. I mean, it, you're talking seven CDs, boom, boom, boom. Right. And that's yeah. why I fell behind. I mean, I had a roommate who had Wu Tang Clan. Then I didn't have a CD player for years. And I tuned out a new music, and so I miss all this stuff. So I've really enjoyed going back yeah. and making making up. And then the one last thing I want to mention is, man, ODB got a raw deal. I mean, obviously the dude fucked up the drug addict, but my awareness of him had just been like headlines of arrested, charged, jail sentence. And then when you actually look at what he was charged with and convicted of, like when they charged him with shooting at people, he didn't have a gun in his car. And then yeah, and then yeah. they sent him to jail on probation violation for wearing a bulletproof vest. I mean. Just total, total yeah. bullshit. Yeah, yeah, it was bullshit. And then, the, the, uh, Chang, Sophia Chang, she has written a book, and and she uh, was uh, interviewed uh, on 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 some on a Aussie show. And um, one of the things that she kind of alluded to or talked about was mental illness, and about some of these guys. You know, it's a standard record label dodge. Some it was well known that some of these guys should have. I'm not talking about Wu Tang specifically, but in general people who need to get help are often not gotten help by the record labels. They're, they're the worst aspects are aid and abetted. Can I get you something? Can I get right. you? And she, she was feeling that he was poorly served hmm. by the professional forces around him. Yeah. And also his family, I think. I think, yeah. I think yeah. you know, and, and, um, and the irony of him being cousins with RZA and, you know, and it was in the Wu-Tang documentary, it makes it pretty clear that for RZA, Rizza and Divine losing ODB, like they let all the other guys go. Yeah. Divine didn't want to, but Rizza was like, no, we got to let him go. 
Um, but ODB, it really hurt him to let go. And they had a yeah. whole plan for bringing him back. And, and, you know, they had lost his trust just like they lost the trust of all the other guys. It's, it's just a tragedy. And the guy gave so much and it's really just a beautiful yeah. soul, you know, and, yeah, and yeah, yeah. Anyway, but but then, but cocaine is a dangerous recreational drug. Yeah. One thing they didn't say though, that I don't think they really focus on as much, and they talk, talk about grittiness and everything. But listening to Enter the Thirty Six Chambers again before the show, the thing that really appealed to me about Wu Tang, it wasn't just the story, right? Because you hear about all these guys like they couldn't get a record deal, so they did their own record, right? So it just seemed like it was just it was really mythic about these guys who just came together to put something together. Then the combination of the kung fu flicks, but it's the and then as you're going to get into like I guess uh, as you get into um, to to uh, to Biggie, the, the thing that was really clear about it is the fact that there was this energy, this 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 grittiness, this bitterness, this frustration at the industry. I mean, Raekwon talking about how he I have a beef with commercial ass n words with gold teeth, lamping in a Lexus eating beef, right? So that then cash rules everything around me, which is a critique of how materialistic stuff is. I mean, it's the way in which they were analyzing and viewing and critiquing the world around them. Uh, and it's it, it it just you that's where with Illmatic with Nas. I mean it's 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 the same similar kind of thing in the sense that the rawness and the realness, right? When we talk about something being real, I mean, you just totally felt it with to this to this day. And I'm you, glad you, you feel it because I think somebody said that I read recently was that Wu Tang were the first guys who talked about gangster stuff but weren't pretending to be hard. I mean, they were obviously tough guys and they were hard, but they admitted this stuff hurt them. Yeah. You know, yes. Is it Raekwon that had to share the four pair of jeans with his brothers and yeah. had yeah. the two brothers with, or, or was it Ghostface that had the two brothers? But even but even in, in the line, even the line in um in Cash was everything around me when he's talking about the fact that like how he grew uh, uh you know, uh, it can't be so simple. He talks about he grew up poor and broke. And the only way he was able to get some money was selling drugs. And even then, he's wearing the same low sweater, meaning the same kind of like, you know, it wasn't a big label thing. So so, so it kind of goes back to the whole thing of I think what's lost with hip hop nowadays as opposed to back in the day was when people – sometimes you have this braggadocious stuff, but there's a certain aspirational quality of somebody who had made it and they're in – even like Ghostface, right? Like it can't be so simple. Like he's, he's talking about like how he wants to be in the spotlight and getting his dick road all night. Like it's just aspirationally these dreams and these fantasies these guys have wanting to make it and that as opposed to – the puffification of the world was, oh, I'm already here and fuck the rest of you guys. Or the Jay-Z, like, I'm rich. You know, it's just, yeah. there's something lost yeah, but there, with but that. There's, there's, there's something to do with their 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 space, their place in space. And and, and I think the, the the veteran status, a long time presence in the industry where you're part of the industry, but you're not part of the, the velvet chair industry. Right. You know, it's like, you know, I'm I'm taking the subway to shows. I'm not getting picked up for shows. You know, if uh, I, I get bumped off the of source covers, you know, I'm uh, you know, uh, P Diddy made fun of that guy. It's like you know the uh, the, uh, the 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 hater. Um, you know, he had a special name. I forget what his name was in all in all of his uh, uh, Biggie skits. You know, the Mad Rapper. The Mad Rap. The Mad Rapper. Exactly. Thank you. And um, but these guys were like, yeah, you know what? I've been doing this for a long time and I've had I've been close enough to taste it. And at the same time, you know, what did meth do on that documentary? He would his he had like worked in a grocery store. So I mean the their futures were really, really stark. Like, I gotta make 
fucking work here? Oh, it's back to the fucking grocery store, man. I think right. Matt was stealing. You know? I think it was Raekwon that worked at the grocery store. Nah, nah, nah. Because he Meth is chef. on. No, because Meth was on the ferry, and then he sees the or or they encounter some old white guy, and he and he calls him, "Oh, hey, Mister Richardson." And this was his boss from his his. Yeah, it wasn't a grocery uh, store souvenir stand at 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 the Statue of Liberty. Yeah, there you go. Whatever it was. Yeah, anyway, but he it? also was the dealer. But yeah, that yeah, was. Yeah, yeah. Really so that, like that, that, and that's it. Yeah, that's it. Because you know how many dealers you see in the hood that that that, that were rich. People are temporarily rich. <laughs> you know, I know guys who used to drive Mercedes Benzes, and now they drive rusty pickup trucks. You know, it's you, you get this kind of stark line. But so yeah. I think they they you know they were they were driven and they were driven. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so now let's turn to to Biggie Smalls, the notorious Big. That that's the last. Uh, figure that they cover and this is just beginning of biggie and they'll obviously be back to biggie i think in the next episode when they finally do the whole east coast versus west coast thing and i thought they did a good job of capturing what it was about biggie that he was this unique persona he was a great rapper he was very street and he was new york's answer to snoop dogg essentially i mean you know that that p diddy you know uh, puff daddy sean combs was looking for somebody who could be the answer to the chronic like you know Nas right. was great and Wu-Tang was great and stuff but they you know New York they want was, something to get the mojo back yeah to be yeah. not just big or great but to be the biggest rapper in the world right and, and, and what was noteworthy about him was that he really perfectly exemplified remember we're talking about how like all oh, the chronic was car music but he perfectly exemplified um how New Yorkers listen to music, the way they listen to music, and where they listen to music, you know? I mean, it was very much, even the rhythmic patterns were very kind of, you know, staccato rhythms. It was very much of like a a subway walking down the street, Mm -hmm. headphone, you know, MP3 thing, not not in the car, you know, not my 6'5", hitting switches. Yeah, or boombox on the corner. You know, yeah. or or just kids rapping on the on the stoops and, and yeah, that yeah, whole right. thing, and yeah. and so and 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 they get that that you know, it was this combination of very street, very unique persona, incredibly charismatic guy. I mean, he's like a fatty Arbuckle type guy. I mean, it's, <laughs> it's a very rare thing where you have a big you know overweight guy who's ugly. But hot, the chicks all love this guy, you know. But there's, but but in the black community, we, we, there's a, there was it was a long tradition that from Fats Waller to you know the, I mean, sure. the, and there's a lovable fat guys who got lots of action, you know. Yeah, yeah, we got we got that over on this side too. I mean, it's yeah, not, yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, Louis uh, Louis Anderson, yeah, I mean, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Louis Anderson. Uh-huh. But and then was the the marriage, uh, the partnership of of Biggie and and Sean Combs and and oh, this of street Mr. rapper who we and, call Mister uh, Felicio. <laughs> let's not get into that. The latest latest dirt that that came out on on Combs, but allegedly, um, <sighs> but you know. Puffy wasn't a genius producer, but he assembled a really good crew of producers underneath him and added this R&B uh, underneath them. <laughs> Sorry. Purile. Uh, you're always. Always uh, your favorite. But, um, you know, he, he commercialized Biggie. Not, I think Biggie would have been big anyway, but Puff Daddy took him to the top. And, and, you know, I thought Lil' Kim explained it really well. And, and that, you know, Puff Daddy knew to get him writing hooks 
And I really enjoyed going back and listening uh, to that first Biggie album, Ready to Die. Yeah. And I hadn't realized, like, I was listening to it on the streaming service, and I was like, this isn't right, you know? Like, this isn't the song I remember. Mm-hmm. And then I wiki it. And in 2006, they lost a lawsuit with the Ohio Players and several other people they had sampled without getting clearances. And they just fucking redid the backing Ooh. tracks. And they changed lyrics. So they, like, he mentioned, he references the 1993 World Trade Center bombing, like something that gets wrecked, like the World Trade. They bleep that shit out. And so mm. I had to go track down, you know, a copy on eBay because I, I want the real shit. And I yeah. think just appalling. Wow. And, and I think it's one of the things that these, that creeps me out about the streaming services, you yeah. know, like, like, like there was a tiny, insignificant group called Power Bottom that had some kind of me too moment a few years ago and their record label dropped them and they were instantly erased from Spotify. And that gave me cold chills. Cause like, you know, it could be Woody Guthrie or Chuck D the future, you know, like get yep. wiped one day by these yep. services. And, and, you know, it's one thing if you got the CD, you know, at least with mm. the, the big album, we can get the, the copies of the old CD and we can burn it and upload it to the cloud and listen to it if we want to. But if it's all streaming, it's just going to be gone one day. Yeah, yeah. man. I, yeah, I, yeah, And that's where I, I got to side with Albini. I don't like the transient nature of, of the form. And I remember when they – I still remember when they went from vinyl to, to, to CD and they had to remix and remaster a lot of that stuff. And I'm like, listen, I go, you know, records – I never got like, it right. Never got it right. A lot of never it – got it right, yep. You know, never got right. I mean, some of it was just notoriously crappy in the eighties, you know, and like, yeah. you know, Led Zeppelin, the first round of Led Zeppelin CDs was terrible. And they're still butchering Jimi Hendrix. I mean, yep. they yep. make it like, you know, if you look at a Jimi Hendrix CD that comes out, it'll look like a brick because they've yeah. got it compressed and maxed out so it sounds yeah. as loud as whatever yeah. the loudest metal album is and the dynamics are all lost. But Anyway, when I found out, I, I thought that was really upsetting and really lame for Sean Combs to do that because he's got the money to license to do it um, right. License, I, I've I've yeah. had the occasion to almost do business uh, at least two times with him. And when I was editor in chief at Code Magazine, and we're going to do some co-branded deal, and then secondarily, um, he through my agent had tapped me as a ghostwriter. He wanted to start a, a ghetto imprint. Uh, he wanted to get into books for some reason. And in both cases, he so aggressively lowballed me that the deals effectively never happened. It's just like, I'm not going to write a whole book for you with somebody else's name on it, you know, for $1,000 in oh. 30 days. Are you out of your mind? That's a 250-page book for wow. $1,000? Come on. That's like that's not even a penny a word, man, you know? But yeah, I get. I guess he got to be a billionaire by not paying yeah. more than a penny a word, right? Absolutely, absolutely, yeah. and, and you know, and and they'll turn, they'll tell the rest of the story, the Biggie story, in the next episode. I think they'll they'll wrap it up. Um, anything else about Biggie that we need to cover? The horrible, horrible uh, 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 plastic surgery. Little uh, Kim, little man, Kim, yeah. man. little Kim, yeah, and it's just gotten worse. It's gotten even worse since then. But that's, yeah. you know, and that's yeah. painful to me as a Gen Xer because she was yep. remarkably attractive. Well, when you also day. see when she first came out and like how she had very when she first came out, like her first original nose, and then I think it was might be Ready to Die or the second album where she started to get the nose job, and then yeah, it's just, man. yeah, man, yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's like Michael Jackson's first nose job was perfect, and if he could have stopped there, 
but but you know, I was I was making fun of, of him, Michael Jackson specifically, to a friend of mine who was a surgeon, and I said his plastic surgeon should be shot. And he goes, "No, you shouldn't." Like, what do you mean? He goes, "I'm friends with the guy." Oh, you're friends with Michael Jackson's plastic surgeon? He goes, "Yeah." He goes, "He's really good." And I go, "I don't think so." He goes, "No, no." Michael Jackson came in with an illustration, looked at it, and the guy said, "Yeah, we can make this look more realistic." And, I, and Michael Jackson goes, "No, no, I want it like this." He goes, "Yeah, but we can." He says, no, like this. And the guy right away saw. He goes, I do exactly what he's got sketched on this paper or I lose the job. So it's like, yeah. it's your face. Cool. So he did exactly <laughs> what Michael Jackson had scribbled on this piece of paper. That's yeah. what he wanted to look like. Wow. So Yeah, plastic surgery addiction. It's no joke. And that's the end of this episode of Let It Roll. We'll be back next time to wrap up to talk about uh, the East Coast versus the West Coast and the fundamental tragedy, the biggest tragedy of hip hop. We'll take a few weeks off and then Nate will be back with the 10th season of Let It Roll. Follow the Let It Roll podcast on Twitter at Let It Rollcast and check out our website at LetItRollPodcast.com. Let It Roll is a Pantheon podcast and you can listen to more great podcasts at www.pantheonpodcasts.com. It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any Fantasy Points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more Fantasy Points.